the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's a piece yours truly hosted that I trust you will enjoy. I am joined now by Ambassador John Bolton, the National Security Advisor to President Donald Trump. Ambassador Bolton, welcome back. Oh, good morning. Glad to be with you, Hugh. Last time I saw you, uh, we, you were talking to the press on your plane returning from Israel and Turkey. And last night, Bibi Netanyahu won a resounding victory. And I'm going to talk with you about Iran, Venezuela, and Iran. Let's begin with Iran. What does that victory in Israel for Netanyahu augur for the continued entente that is emerging in the Middle East with the United States, Israel, and the Sunni Arab countries vis-a-vis Iran? Well, you're certainly right. There is a lot going on uh, now in Israel. Obviously, there have to be coalition negotiations. Those are always interesting and complicated to uh, students of politics. But I do think that uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu is going to continue to be prime minister. He'll probably set the record of being the longest serving prime minister in Israeli history. He has been a world leader, really, on the subject of dealing with the Iranian nuclear weapons program, Iran's terrorist activity, Iran's threat in conventional force terms in the region. So I see a lot of prospects ahead. You know, we've been working, uh, uh, President Trump, Jared Kushner, and others for a couple years now on a Middle East uh, peace plan. Uh, we've been in the preparatory stages to getting it ready, and I think we're going to see that uh, coming out in the very near future. That opens all kinds of prospects. And the struggle against Iran's effort to subvert peace and security in the region continues, and Netanyahu will play a big, big part in that along with President Trump. President Trump declared that the United States accepted the annexation of the Golan Heights by Israel. We were supposed to go up there, but snow prevented us from going there with you in January. I assume you approve wholeheartedly of the president's decision and understand and may want to explain why Iran is now facing Israel across that Golan Heights, not just Hezbollah, not just Syrian troops. Well, I think this is a recognition of reality for the United States to acknowledge uh, Israeli sovereignty over the Golan Heights. It was taken in 1967 uh, as Israel defended itself against a preemptive attack from the Arab states. I think anybody who's ever been up to the Golan, as as I've uh, been several times, understands why no Israeli government would ever give it back. Uh, And I think it's, uh, on President Trump's part, it's the kind of decisive action like moving the U.S. embassy in Israel to Jerusalem, like designating the uh, Islamic Revolutionary Guards Corps of Iran as a terrorist organization. It's a recognition of reality that uh, I think sends a clearer signal in the Middle East and and around the world than the kind of ambiguity that we've seen uh, in traditional State Department views of of how to handle peace in the Middle East. It says to everybody, look, we're we're not going to pretend that this reality is going to change. Now, people say, oh, but you're rewarding a war of aggression. Honestly, Israel was attacked in 1967. It defended itself, took the Golan Heights away from Syria, and now it will be permanently Israeli. Now, let me talk to you a little bit about the people on the other side, um, including the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps, led by 
General Soleimani. I, last hour, I talked with Admiral Stavridis about General Soleimani and the IRGC. He said, quote, he is one of the most dangerous people in the world. Many other things he said about him, including that he's a master strategist. Uh, this week, you moved against the IRGC. Tell us why you did and whether or not you agree with the admiral's assessment of Soleimani. Well, I think the uh, uh, Admiral Stavridis' assessment of Soleimani is exactly correct. Do not underestimate these people. Don't underestimate the Guards Corps overall, particularly don't underestimate the Quds Force, which Soleimani is uh, in charge of and wreaking havoc throughout uh, Iraq and Syria. Uh, this, uh, the reason that the president decided to designate the IRGC as a foreign terrorist organization is because uh, it's the first time the United States has ever attached that label to a part of a government. Uh, and I think it's especially appropriate here because the government of Iran itself uh, has long been designated as a state sponsor of terrorism. Uh, and, and this just continues what Ronald Reagan uh, started uh, years ago. Uh, what this designation does is make it a criminal offense punishable by up to 20 years in jail for anybody to do business with the IRGC or any of its pieces, uh, and also has enormous impact on who now can come into the United States who has any association with the IRGC or its affiliates. Now, criticism of what the president did comes in two forms. Form one is, oh, it doesn't really change that much. And form two is, my God, this is devastating to the population. <laughs> of peace in the Middle East. It's sort of, you know, you can't have it both ways, pick one criticism or the other. I, I think it's very important. It's a real signal in the Middle East. It's a signal to our allies in Europe. And anybody who wants to think about doing business with the IRGC, think, think about 20 years in jail. Vanguard of the Imam is the book that I learned about the IRGC from, Afshan Ostavar. He makes it clear that the IRGC is a state within the state. Do you expect that this group, which is so powerful and so dangerous, is going to control the succession to Iran's aging Supreme Leader Ayatollah Ali Khamenei? Well, they're undoubtedly a major factor in it. And, uh, you know, their title, uh, the Islamic Revolution, Islamic Revolutionary Guards, they are the guardians of the 1979 revolution. And so as uh, the Supreme Leader Khamenei clearly getting older, having some physical troubles, everybody in Iran knows the succession process is underway. Uh, the IRGC is going to be a central player. And also put your finger on another point. The IRGC controls an awful lot of Iran's wealth uh, through state owned enterprises or thinly disguised uh, businesses that IRGC generals and uh, and their affiliates are in charge of. So the reach of this uh, designation of the IRGC as a foreign terrorist organization is really going to be quite profound. And uh, along with the sanctions that uh, President Trump has imposed after he got out of the wretched Iran nuclear deal in May of last year, uh, we think we're just going to contribute to the maximum pressure we're trying to put on uh, the regime in Tehran to change its behavior. The person who squealed the most after the designation was, in fact, the Ayatollah Khamenei, who told Reuters, in spite of all the pressures in the past 40 years, Americans have failed to do a damn thing, and their vicious move will bear no fruit. The mistake will unite. This mistake will unite Iranians, and the guards will grow more popular in Iran and in the region. America has used terrorists as a tool in the region, while the guards have fought against them from Iraq to Syria. He said, basically, that's an admission that they're an expeditionary force for terrorism, Ambassador Bolton. 
Yeah, exactly. That's tab three in the Iranian uh, propaganda book. And, of course, it was immediately picked up by their stooges in the American media, almost verbatim from what you've said. Uh, look, the, the Iranian regime is being told by people like former Secretary of State John Kerry and others that all they have to do is hang on to 2020. Donald Trump will be defeated. That's what John Kerry's saying. He's saying it to the Europeans. He's saying it to the Iranians. And if you just hang on long enough, there are however many, there are 24 five Democratic presidential candidates. They're all pledging, or most of them, to get back into the Iran nuclear deal. Just hang on, Iran, to 2020, and you'll outlast Donald Trump. I think that's a bad bet by John Kerry, and it's a bad bet by the Ayatollahs in Tehran, too. Let's turn to Venezuela because it's connected to Iran. This week, Newsweek's Tom Connor reported yesterday, in fact, Iran has followed Russia's lead in shoring up ties with Venezuela at a time when the United States sought to oust the embattled Latin America country's socialist government. But China's presence there may be the Pentagon's gravest concern. That follows a foreign affairs interview by Admiral Craig Fowler, very blunt and very welcome, in my opinion, about, quote, I think the biggest threat to democracy in the way of life around the world is the trend we see in China. And he was blasting China for putting out propaganda about the blackouts in Venezuela. What is the situation, Mr. Ambassador? Well, this is a very, very important struggle that's underway now for uh, the people of Venezuela to overturn the Chavez-Maduro dictatorship. Uh, it's also uh, a strategic contest for the United States against Cuba, which has, by many estimates, over 20,000 security forces really running the government in, Venez- in Venezuela. Some people call the country Cubazuela. Uh, I don't really think Maduro uh, is giving orders. I think he's taking orders from Havana. Uh, and what we're trying to do is is get key leaders in the military to do what 90% of the population of Venezuela already wants and help get this regime overthrown. And, and the stakes couldn't be higher. People should understand Venezuela has the largest proven reserves of petroleum in the world, bigger than Saudi Arabia. They have one of the largest uh, reserves of uranium in the ground of any country in the world, perhaps second only to Canada. Uh, Russia and China both have uh, extremely high debt owed to them by the government of Venezuela, tens of billions, we think, in the case of Russia, somewhat less than that in the case of China. So if uh, the Monroe Doctrine fails, if China and Russia establish, along with Cuba, establish uh, domination over Venezuela, I think American strategic interest will be harmed. And as I've said at the beginning, the people of Venezuela will be trapped in this dictatorship. We are seeing here... Uh, the palpable proof of eight years of Obama administration policy mistakes. They let Chavez and Maduro entrench themselves. They let the Ortegas, the Sandinistas come back in Nicaragua. They reversed decades of policy on communist Cuba to our detriment. Uh, the problems we face in the Western Hemisphere today directly relate to ideological policies pursued by the Obama administration. So all these due bills are coming due. I tell you, President Trump is determined not to see Venezuela fall under the sway of foreign powers. I have watched President Trump, Secretary Pompeo, and you wage an unprecedented strategic campaign on Twitter. It's never been done before. Do you think it's effective? Well, it's uh, it certainly gets attention. And, you know, I was, uh, uh, as, as we both were, uh, much younger staffers in the Reagan administration back in the early 80s when he really launched the whole concept of public diplomacy for America, something that was 
utterly foreign to the State Department, where they, you know, they did everything in dark corridors and ministries of foreign affairs. Reagan understood, as, as only the great communicator could, that you've also got an obligation to persuade populations around the world about uh, why American foreign policy is in their interest. And uh, as uh, our millennial generation friends will tell us, Twitter is one of the most powerful of social media. Uh, it's amazing how many people there are out there who, who read Twitter feeds. Uh, it's one part only of what we're up to in terms of uh, communication. I, I will just say I think we've got a long way to go uh, in the federal government to have a better American communication mechanism worldwide. We're working on that at the NSC because we think it's so important. President Trump agrees. But look, if, uh, if Twitter can help us free the people of Venezuela, you bet we'll use it. Washington Examiner Joel Gerke. Last question about Venezuela. A military intervention to oust Venezuelan strongman Nicolas Maduro remains, quote, a very serious option for the United States, according to President Trump's national security team. Quote, obviously that's a result that no one would like to see, but clearly one that is seriously considered as the event unfolds. A senior administration official speaking on the condition of anonymity told reporters Friday evening. How close are we to seeing Colombia and Brazil go in with American help? Look, uh, our our objective is a peaceful transition of power to Juan Guaido and the opposition. But let's not forget, we've got between forty to 50,000 American citizens in Venezuela. Uh, it's our obligation to protect them. We've got uh, countries, as you mentioned, Colombia and Brazil on the border with millions of Venezuelan refugees who have come across. We've got terrorist organizations like the ELN and FARC that threaten Colombia. Uh, we're going to protect American national interest and uh, Maduro and his cronies ought to know that President Trump is very serious when he says all options are on the table. Last question, Ambassador Bolton. The presidential campaign is underway. Senator Kirsten Gillibrand ventured into strategic matters at a town hall in Dover. Let me play you a 40-second cut of what she had to say and ask the follow-up question, cut number 17. When you say you want to develop low-yield nuclear weapons that are tactile, what you're saying is you want to use them. Now, the military will make an argument to say, oh, this is just, again, um, to make, we have to have an equal threat. And this, if it's usable, then it's a better threat. I I just found that as not believable. I I, I just, I, they're trying to create nuclear weapons that are usable. So I oppose the entire defense bill because of that one provision. So uh, if I am president, I am going to make sure we unwind that completely. And I don't think we should be trying to create tactile nuclear weapons. So the... uh, the (laughs) Tactile nuclear weapons. Well, I was unfamiliar with the concept, Mr. Embattled. What are you up to? I have to say, I was unfamiliar with it as well. I wonder what Senator Gillibrand knows that I don't. Oh, I'm very worried. I've, I've been studying this stuff with since President Nixon was in retirement in San Clemente. First time I've heard of tactile nuclear weapons. So what? Is something going on in Andrew Marshall's old office at the Pentagon? We don't... <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you know, Hugh is national security advisor. I, I don't get involved in politics, but I'll, I'll just say maybe Senator Gillibrand could give me a call and tell me what she knows about those tactile nuclear weapons. I'd be interested in learning it. <laughs> okay. All right, we'll leave it at there. Mr. Ambassador, always great to talk to you. Thank you for coming on because public diplomacy does matter, and it especially matters. Let's finish on a serious note. The people of Venezuela are suffering. They are suffering so much. We have to get Maduro out of there. I hope you're disintermediating the general's money if they're not moving in the right direction. 
We're, we're working on a lot of fronts. We really are. We can, and this is a, this is a bipartisan issue. I think for the United States, I've spoken to many Democratic House and Senate members. Uh, they're with the administration on it. We we need to bring this one into the W column. Thank you so much, Mr. Ambassador. Thank you, Hugh. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.